I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading Revelation chapters 17 through 19. This is the new King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. All right, Revelation chapter 17, let's identify the players here. Verse 1, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. But the angel said to me, Why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was and is not, and yet is. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven, and is going to perdition. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Then he said to me, The waters which you saw, where the harlot sits, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind, and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth." Well, this chapter is full of symbolism, so hang on. The beast in this chapter is the beast commonly called the Antichrist, the beast of Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through 10. As a matter of fact, chapters 13 and 17 are best read side by side in order to get the fuller description of this diabolical ambassador of Satan. Then there's this adulterous woman. Idolatry and the worship of false gods is symbolized by an adulterous woman all through the Old Testament. As you can see from this chapter, the same goes here. This woman is a worldwide false religious system in cahoots with the beast. This false religious system will impact the activities of kings and governments. 
In Revelation 17, this false religious system is in full support of the beast, or the Antichrist, as he's commonly called. We see some leaders of nations who are beast or Antichrist allies in verse 12. They'll all be making war with Christ at the big battle, the Battle of Armageddon, recorded in Revelation 19, verses 11 through 21. By the way, verse 15 shows us how vastly this false religious system will have spread. So let's see if we have this straight. There'll be a vast religious system which will support the beast, commonly called the Antichrist, and that system will hate Christ. Now, is that scary or what? So much for the theory that all religion is good. Notice, though, that the beast does turn on this religious system before it's over with, and Christ destroys the whole thing, beast, antichrist, false religion, and all. Just wait until we get to Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21. Many teachers of prophecy have attempted to identify this religious system represented by the adulterous woman. They surmise that this system will develop over an extended period of time and therefore must exist in some form in the world today. Notice verse 9. It says, Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. John specifically gives a geographic clue regarding the home base of this religious organization. It's located on seven mountains. Now, here's what the IVP Bible background commentary has to say on this very issue of terrain. I quote, It was common knowledge that the original city of Rome sat on seven hills. This datum appears throughout Roman literature and on Roman coins and was celebrated in the name of the annual Roman festival called Septa Montium. There is no question but that Rome was John's enemy, had him banished to Patmos because of his faith. Furthermore, there is no question that Daniel's prophecies regarding future empires conclude with the Roman Empire. Daniel 9.26 indicates that the beast or the Antichrist will be of the same nationality as those who would destroy the temple in Jerusalem when he says this. He says, And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. This event, the destruction of the temple which took place in 70 AD, was at the hands of the Romans. Therefore, the beast, also known as the Antichrist, will also be Roman according to that. John received this vision by revelation and did not necessarily perceive the implications himself at the time. However, I'm relatively confident that if you were to have asked John what this revelation meant at the time, he would certainly have told you that this corrupt religious system that will dominate the world at the second coming of Christ would be based in Rome. So what about the mention of Babylon in verse 5? Well, Babylon becomes a symbol for morally corrupt government in the Old Testament. Daniel's interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel chapter 2 began with Babylon and ended with Rome. The seven mountains of verse 9 identify the topography of Rome, not Babylon. The city of Babylon rested on flat real estate, all of which was at or near sea level. Babylon is the epitome, though, of a wicked city. In this case, Rome. We see in chapter 17 in Revelation chapter 18 that this city will host a worldwide corrupt religious system. John reveals to us a double symbolism in verses 10 and 11 regarding the seven mountains of verse 9. Not only is it a geographic hint, but he goes on to say in verses 10 and 11, there are also seven kings, five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. 
These mountains also represent kings, five before John's writing, one at the time of John's writing, and one yet future. It's difficult to get a bead on the five preceding John. Well, theories abound on that. But the Roman emperor contemporary with John's exile in 95 AD would have been Domitian. The seventh who becomes the eighth certainly is a reference to the yet future beast or Antichrist. One thing is certain, the symbolism is quite complex in chapter 17. We also see the beast, also known as the Antichrist, exercising great power over kings of the earth and even appointing what appears to be puppet kings over nations in verses 12 and 13. Many teachers have sought to get very specific regarding the identity of these nations and their leaders who will be under the control of this beast. Let it suffice to say that over a relatively short period of time, the beast will consolidate a group of nations and will control them as one. The unquestionable satanic personality of the beast is clearly stated in numerous places, but never more clearly than in verse 8. It was fashionable in the decades of the 60s, 70s, and 80s to teach that the European Common Market, uh, shortened as ECM, just short of ten member nations at the time, was the kingdom over which the Antichrist would gain control. It was believed by many that when that tenth nation joined the ECM, the stage is set for the beast or the Antichrist, and likewise the rapture of the church. Since that time, significantly more economic unification has been achieved among European nations to the point that today many more than ten nations have joined that economic community today known as the European Union. As a matter of fact, at the end of 2008, there were 27 nations who were members with others in the process of joining. The ECM evolved into the EU and screamed right past that 10th member nation without anyone even noticing. The scenario of verse 12, when compared to Daniel chapter 7 verse 24, seems to differ. Let's compare Revelation 17:12 with Daniel 7:24. Here's what Revelation 17:12 says. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. Daniel 7.24 says, The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. So here's the question. Who's first, the ten kings or the beast? Well, here's my best conjecture. The kings that arise in Daniel 7.24 are replaced by the puppet kings appointed by the beast, the Antichrist. The subduing of the three kings in Daniel 7.24, meaning to humble or bring low, seems to indicate a more extreme measure taken by the beast for those three. The bottom line is this, the beast gains control of the ten kings and of those ten nations. Whoa, now who saw this coming? We see beginning in verse 6 that the beast who was in collusion with the false religious system, Babylon, will turn on that very same religious system and destroy it. So here's how this probably fits with the whole timeline of the tribulation. Chapter 17 deals with the worldwide religious system referred to as Babylon here. The beast, a.k.a. Antichrist, uses this religious system for a period of time to achieve a worldwide unification behind himself. At some point in time, though, the beast will turn on this very same religious system and destroy it. When is that, do you suppose? Well, in order to properly set the order, it's important to once again remember that chapters 17 and 18 are not sequential with the opening of the seal, trumpet, and vile judgments, which we saw through chapter 16. Vile judgments are also commonly known as the bold judgments, and 
the New King James Version. As a matter of fact, consistency causes us to separate chapters 17 and 18 as two different events during the tribulation. Here's what we know about the beast from Daniel 9:27, Matthew 24:15, and 2 Thessalonians 2. At the midpoint of the tribulation, the beast will commit the abomination of desolation by promoting himself to God's status. He'll insist that he himself become the focus of all worship by all people. It makes sense, therefore, that it will be at this point that Revelation 17 is fulfilled, the destruction of the religious vehicle that helped him up to that point. In other words, this worldwide religious system will assist the beast in obtaining his goal of unifying the world behind worship of himself. Once accomplished, he'll then view the very same worldwide religious system, religious Babylon, to be a hindrance rather than a help. He'll destroy it at the midpoint of the tribulation, simultaneous with the abomination of desolation. In contrast, the destruction of commercial Babylon is seen in Revelation chapter 18. The events of the destruction of commercial Babylon fit at the Battle of Armageddon at the end of the tribulation. Therefore, the events of Revelation 17 and 18 are likely separated by a time span of three and a half years. In Revelation chapter 18, Babylon is destroyed. Verse 1. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen and is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen, and am no widow, and will not see sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine. And she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment is come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise any more, merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of objects, ivory, and every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, marble, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and bodies and souls of men. The fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you. All the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea, stood 
at a distance, and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city, in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found any more. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you any more. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you any more, and the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you any more. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you any more, and the voice of bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you any more. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived, and in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. We discussed earlier that Babylon in chapter 17 is not the literal name of the city, but rather the false religious system that will prevail at the time of the beast or the Antichrist rule. The seat of that false religious system seems to be carefully identified geographically as Rome. This religious system is worldwide and will have impacted rulers of nations everywhere. Now in chapter 18, we see Babylon being referenced again, but with a little different function. It outlines the commercial ventures of Babylon. It would certainly appear that 18 is referring to a literal city named Babylon conducting trade with the world. It therefore seems prudent to understand that chapter 17 references a religious Babylon, while chapter 18 references a commercial Babylon. While the usage of Babylon is intended to convey their corruptness, the chapter should not be regarded as a continuous event, related, sure, but not continuous. Saddam Hussein had begun rebuilding the city of Babylon in Iraq. He had a project doing so. He had great plans for Babylon to recapture its former glory. The war in Iraq and subsequent capture of Saddam Hussein and then his subsequent execution terminated this rebuilding. American troops used the magnificent facilities that had been built there as a strategic position as they engaged in the war. Could it be that this formerly great city of Babylon will, in fact, be rebuilt to its former glory? Well, here we do see a city named Babylon as the center of commerce under the hand of the beast. While the religious system of chapter 17 tagged with Babylon is obviously worldwide and is likely terminated at the midpoint of the tribulation, it would appear that commercial Babylon, as described here in chapter 18, endures until the end of the tribulation. At that time, it will be destroyed by Jesus himself at the Battle of Armageddon in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21, which we'll read in just a few moments. We begin Revelation chapter 19 with some rejoicing. Verse 1, After these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia! Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Again they said, Alleluia! Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. 
And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Well, the false religion here is dead, happens in chapter 18. The destruction of the enemy is imminent. There is rejoicing in heaven, and then there is the marriage supper of the Lamb. This marriage supper seen in verses 7-9 through 9 is the kingdom of God on earth. It was first introduced as such by Jesus in Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 24, and then again in Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. It's explained in detail in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. The bride equals those saints who return with Jesus in verse 14, represented there as the army who accompanied Jesus at his return. This marriage supper is definitely a reference to the millennium the 1,000-year period that follows the tribulation when Christ will rule and the throne of David will be renewed. This is that time prophesied by the Old Testament prophets, the kingdom of God on earth. It's also the event about which Jesus spoke with regard to the foolish and wise virgins in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. But first, there's a battle to fight. That's the battle of Armageddon. Now, if you look into the written notes of BibleTrack.org, you see the familiar prophecy timeline if you've been reading along with me this year. It shows you the layout of the rapture, the second coming, the tribulation in between, and the 1,000-year millennium. And then the mother of all battles, the battle of Armageddon, seen in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21. Verse 11. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses." Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beasts, the kings of the earth and their armies, gathered together to make war against him who sat on the throne and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. Yeah, 
Here's the closer. It's the great Battle of Armageddon. We've all heard so much about this Battle of Armageddon, which comes at the end of the tribulation period. It's not much of a battle, really. I mean, for all the hype it gets. The enemy forces are assembled beginning back in Revelation chapter 16, verses 12 through 16, which happens to be the only time the reference to Armageddon is actually used. The armies of the beast, or the Antichrist, gather together. Christ descends with his army and consumes them with the sword of his mouth. Swoosh! And it's over. We know the horseman to be Christ from his description in verse 11. It says, He that sat upon him was called faithful and true. Another identifying phrase is found in verse 13 where he's described as the word of God. You'll recall that John himself wrote of Jesus in his own gospel in John chapter 1 verse 14 when he said, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. No question, it's Jesus Christ himself on that horse leading the battle. The armies on white horses here are probably the believers who are in heaven. That means we'll be in the army along with Christ. From this time forward through eternity, Christ will rule the earth. What happens to the beast, a.k.a. Antichrist, and the false prophet at this point in time? Verse 20 makes clear their fate and eternity in the lake of fire. They'll have company there, as we see in that same verse, all the God-hating people of the tribulation period. In addition, we'll see in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, that all those who have not received Jesus Christ as personal Savior, well, they'll join them as well. Incidentally, the association of Armageddon with the Valley of Megiddo has been speculated by many students of prophecy over the years. We don't actually know where Armageddon is located. Megiddo itself is located over 50 miles north of Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives. As a matter of fact, we do know that Jesus' return takes place at the Mount of Olives according to Zechariah chapter 14 verse 4 and Acts chapter 1 verses 9 through 12. Not that it matters really, but Megiddo is a long way from Jerusalem. If the beast is defending his position in Jerusalem, it does not seem likely that he would station his armies 50 miles north to do so. Therefore, Armageddon seems more likely to be the identification of a position lying closer to Jerusalem. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walker.